0: Morning, my name is Cor. I'm on the pastoral staff here at Hope. Uh, excited, excited to, to be with you. Honored, humbled that that I just get surprised when people are here on a Sunday. I don't know. Uh, I, I probably shouldn't be. The music is is top notch. Uh, we just did an offering song with something called Night Sweats. Uh, I don't know them, uh, but. I, Imagine that's an honor to be in a band, to be a night sweat. Uh, <laughs> but I just, I, I still find it uh, fascinating when, when people come to Hope. It's a huge honor that and uh, deeply humbled that you would want to be a part of this church and what we're trying to do as a, as a church family and how we're trying to impact uh, our, our spheres of influence, whether that's in a, in a classroom setting, if you're a student or a teacher or uh, an office, if if you're working and have uh, gainful employment, or or wherever God might give you voice in your families, in your networks, in your uh, your household, um, but certainly that you would choose to be a part of hope and what we're trying to do collectively, corporately as a church in our city to lift up the name of Christ. And if if you are new with us, uh, we we are honored that you would 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 Google and find us, um, or be invited by a friend and have the courage to come. It's a, um, it's a huge step on your part, and so hopefully we can uh, make it worth, uh, worthwhile for you. Um, I, I am jumping around and uh, in social media land. I don't know if you're like me, but I am, I'm on the social media. Uh, I, 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 I'm on the Facebook, the Twitter, the Insta. So we say, right? We say Insta. Uh, right now, though, I'm I'm kind of on a on a Reddit phase. Uh, I don't do all of these simultaneously. It just gets to be too much. It's just way too much for me, and so I kind of get like excited about one, spend some weeks there, and then I move on. And then uh, right now, I I'm fascinated by the the WCGW line uh, subreddit. You guys know this one, kind of what what could go wrong, right? I mean, there is so much entertainment value here, and you're, you're asking yourself, like, maybe we need to talk to our pastor about how much time he's spending. on. No, that's not the conversation right now. Uh, <laughs> that's for another day, okay? But, but I love this. I mean, you know, you know what this is getting at, right? Like, like, like this picture right here. What could go wrong <laughs> when your buddy is serving as your table while trying to cut some plywood. I mean, what could possibly go wrong there? Or, I, I just, I, this makes no sense to me. Like, hey, we need to save some time in getting the kayak, kayak off the top of the Jeep. And so here's, here's what I'm thinking. Here's how we'll save some time. I'll back up the Jeep to the water while you're in the kayak on the roof, right? So here they go. I mean, what could go wrong, right? And so this friend launches his buddy in and, and I think we're, we're good so far, but all of a sudden we're not good. I mean, what could, possibly, what could possibly go wrong, right, in that situation? Or, hey, let me light something on fire and then dump, uh, dump that down a manhole cover there. Uh, what could go wrong, right? We'll just, we'll just light it and we'll throw it down there and we'll see what happens. Well, first thing that happens is fire so the guy behind the camera is going yes yeah this is what we were going for this is what we were hoping could happen but then the road comes with it and you're like oh and then the video stopped which I can only assume meant they were just running like (laughs) we don't want to have to pay for this and so let's get out of here that's one of those yes, 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 no, no. We gotta go. Let's get out of here. Now, this gentleman, this next gentleman, he actually missed his stop. Uh, we don't have. I, I'm assuming this is like a New York City. They got the subway, and he missed his stop. And so I don't know, like, if it's gonna be minutes, miles before the next stop. But he's like, I missed my stop. Not okay. So I'm gonna pry open the doors of the subway car. While it's going and jump out. And there's just something about physics or something that, that's gonna just cause him to face plant. <gasps> so, to this guy, if he's asking the question, what could go wrong? Lots, lots could go wrong. Why don't you just wait till the next stop? My boys are jugglers, Uh, they are not as skilled in juggling as this gentleman who's juggling fire. Uh, That's a little bit hard to see there. Maybe it's showing up a little bit better at West, Uh, hey West. Um, And he does a great job. No issues, no problems, until there's applause and he feels the need to bow. And he lights his buddy on fire. Uh, He like puts, oh thank you, thank you. Oh, oh! You're on fire. Um, so, what could go wrong in trying to take a bow? Uh, I guess a lot. Now, I mean, come on. This, this, this last one here. Come, come on. Re- like, really? If you think you can get on the top of your truck while it's driving and think that everything's going to be okay, which this guy, he seems to think we're, it's going to be, it's going to be fine. What could go wrong? Eventually that truck has to stop somehow, some way, and he's on the ground as his truck hits the light pole. My goodness. So you can see like where I lose uh, minutes or hours of my day by this fascinating thing, this this subreddit of, of WCGW. But here's where it really hits home for me personally. Personally now, if I could be kind of just Safe space, time of confession here. Uh, what could go wrong by taking Virginia all the way, uh, they say? <laughs> what could go wrong? They're a number one seed. What could go wrong? A, a one seed is never lost to a 16 seed in the NCAA tournament. What could go wrong? It's a Cavalier, which is going against a dog, a Retriever. I mean, what could go wrong with that, right? Plenty, I'm telling you. Uh, my bracket is busted. It's over. Um, somebody got online and said, you know, we, we now know the odds of a 16 seed beating a one seed. It used to be never, zero, and now it's one in 136. So there we go. Uh, I've learned my lesson. What could go wrong? Much. Uh, if you pick the one seed, just uh, thinking it's going to be no problems. Now, I bring this up to try to give you a little bit of feeling as to what Moses And Aaron and the Israelites are experiencing. I'm trying to give you some sort of visceral, gut, 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 kind of wrenching feeling, so that you know, as we read this account, what they would be going through. We're in the book of Exodus, the Gospel according to Moses, a study of the book of Exodus, because Moses might be under the impression, like, we got God, what could go wrong, right? And just by way of like, kind of going back through the story, it's like, well. Uh, Pharaoh made a decree that was going to kill Moses as an infant. So what could go wrong? Much. Thankfully, circumstances happen and women intervene, six different women uh, in his life intervene and save him. Now, he sees his people being persecuted and he's like wanting to intervene and help out. It's like, what could go wrong? Well, he kills that person. There's this tremendous backlash and he flees. So what could go wrong? A lot. We continue forward in the story, and God appoints Moses to be his leader, to be his spokesperson. And not only that, but gives him signs to perform, and and he goes to the people, and they respond in a really awesome way, and there's this worship service, and you know, if you're Moses, you're thinking, I got God, I got Aaron, I got the elders with me, let's go. What could go wrong? He goes before Pharaoh. Pharaoh doesn't listen. And the Israelites who are experiencing slavery, it gets worse for them. So what could go wrong? A lot. Their labor is so harsh, so severe, that now they are just utterly discouraged. They don't want to go forward anymore. They don't want to follow Moses or Aaron. They don't want to be counted amongst God's people, look what it's gotten them. What could go wrong? Everything has gone wrong. Things have gone from bad to worse, as if that were even possible. And that brings us to where we are today. Going to read from the end of chapter 6 into chapter 7. If you have the sermon notes, those can be found kind of as you enter the sanctuary, both over at Hope West and Hope East, um, you can see on that where I'm going, but not going to read it all from the get go. Just going to slowly walk through it with you. And, and a lot of this, just, just let me give you a heads up a lot of this is repetition. We've heard these same things before. There is a, a, a certain wrinkle that I want to spend some time talking about from just a, an, kind of the totality of the Bible and what the Bible speaks about one aspect here. But a lot of this we've heard before, we've seen these things before. So there's not things that are altogether new as much as this is a literary device, a rhetorical device to keep them on, this, on the right track, keep them moving forward. And then we will end today by just asking, like, what? why do we need this so much? Why do we need this account so much? And I'll share a couple anonymous prayer requests that have come into Hope over the last month or so as a way of getting at the personal application, the implications of this text for our lives. And how can we continue to be the people of God, not just on Sunday, but as we go forth into those different spe- spheres that God has given us influence? So let me start reading here at the end of chapter 6. It says Now, when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, Since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Is that new? No, we've, we've already had both of these things happen. So its inclusion here is a reminder that this story is ultimately not about Moses. And friends, it's, 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 it's fascinating. I read the, the commentaries and the number of people that speak of the moral quality, the moral superiority that Moses brings. And it's like, wait a second. Moses is writing this. And it seems like at every turn, Moses is reminding the audience of what a feeble, frail leader he is. He's writing this. So if he wanted to esteem his moral superiority, why would you include this? He's, he's putting it in there to say, this is ultimate. If, if you go away from this, remember, it's not about me. It's not about what a great leader I was, how eloquent I was in speech, what command I just brought forth the Israelites. no. God says something, and I resist. God says something, and I have already experienced so many things go wrong that I'm thinking about those things, and I'm trying to bring forth excuses to get out from this. So this is ultimately a story not about Moses, but about God. Let's keep reading. "'Then the Lord said to Moses, "'See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet.'" You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. So the Lord is reiterating words, phrases, sentences, a vision for the future that is consistent with what has already been said. I have made you like God to Pharaoh. Now, that's just a little bit of a wrinkle, okay? This idea that he would be like God was spoken previously, but it was actually with Aaron in mind. I will make you like God to Aaron and to the Israelites. Now it is very clear, not just to them, but also to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians. You will become like God or be God to Pharaoh, and your Aaron will be your brother. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. Kenyan theologian Dr. Ademo uh, says this, God declares that Moses, whom he has already said will be like God to Aaron, will also be like God to Pharaoh, and Aaron will be his prophet. God is not saying that Moses has been deified, nor that he is divine. He is not God. He's still a man. Rather, God is reassuring Moses that he has been given a position that is superior to that of Pharaoh. In, In this role, Moses will be able to perform unprecedented miracles and overwhelm the powers of the Egyptian magicians who represent the gods of Egypt. Do you hear that? Moses, you will be esteemed. You will be empowered. You will be exalted over Pharaoh, which if you're in that culture and you're experiencing this live, that would have sounded like foolishness. Pharaoh? He's the most powerful person on the planet that's how they view him and so God is giving him this word that no no no, I will exalt you over him your God will be exalted above his gods let's keep reading but I will harden Pharaoh's heart and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt he will not listen to you then I will lay my hand on Egypt And with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. If you've been following along, if you've been here throughout this, again, I look at that list, I read those verses, and I see a lot of repeated uh, repeated phrases. Let me just... um, Speak to the nature of repetition in the Scriptures, because I think this is important for us. We are are given to just coming to the Word and reading it, and we read it once, and we go, okay, on to the next thing. Why do they keep going forth? Remember, this is an oral culture, oral tradition. Literacy was not widespread, and so much of this was passed on orally through story. Now, if I put it in that context, and I ask you to think about the stories that get shared around your dinner table... Or maybe you go home for for Christmas and all those stories of your childhood come back up. You tell those stories and you just can't wait till that one point, right? And you share that, which leads you to that next thing that you share. And then eventually you get to that, that punchline, right? And you go through and you hit those four or five or six things every time you share that family story. The same could be said of this Exodus. They retell the story and all of those phrases are... are, are uh, Bear bear repeating. About this, uh, Peter ends in his commentary, says, Exodus, like so much of the Old Testament narrative, is a repetitive book where themes are reiterated, developed, and expanded. Hence, each passage does not necessarily have its own theological theme or themes distinct from the rest of the book. Rather, the same themes come into play at various points, often with increased emphasis or added dimensions. And so I want to just kind of recap, if you're new with us, this will be really helpful. If you're not, I just want you to see the the number of ways in which key themes are repeated. I'm going to list a bunch of verses. We're not going to go through all those verses. I just need you to see how common some of these threads are, okay? So, I am the Lord. It's repeated here, but it came a couple uh, messages ago, and it will continue through almost the, the rest of the book. At different points, God esteems himself as, I am the Lord, Another one, the resistance of Moses, okay? Now, I do think that our story creates a little bit of a turn in Moses, where he's been so resistant, we do actually get to see him become more obedient to God's word, but he's had resistance throughout the story so far. I have made you like God to Pharaoh. Going to come back to that one, but it, was, um, it is a repeat from chapter four where Moses was presented as like God to Aaron, Aaron will be with Moses, so he's not alone in this. He has his brother who will serve as a prophet alongside him. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. We've dealt with that uh, on numerous occasions, and we'll continue to see that as we get into the other signs and wonders and plagues that come about in the next several weeks. Signs, mighty acts of judgment. And I know, perhaps, that being Westerners, we're not given to this. We read the scriptures and we see those things and we go, ah, that probably didn't happen. Or we need to naturalize things, which many commentators do. They come forth and say, no, that's not a mighty sign of God. There was weather patterns that happened in Egypt alongside the Nile and we can naturalize that story and take the supernatural out of it. But again and again we see these promises of signs, of mighty acts of judgment that come from God and then finally, ultimately, bring the Israelites out so that they might worship God. That this exodus speaks of the deliverance of the Israelite people that they will actually get to go forth from this country into a land of their own. So I, I throw that out there just to say if you feel like there's been some repetition in this series, if you feel like there's been some repetition in this series, if you feel like You're just tired because we keep saying the same thing over and over again. That's a part of the book of Exodus. That's a part of the scriptures so that we might hear these important threads. Let's keep reading. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. So a couple things of note. Moses is younger than Aaron. So when Moses gets set up to be a god, like a god to his older Brother Aaron, I mean, that is the younger sibling's dream. I mean, this is like God establishing you as the younger brother to be over your older brother. I can think of nothing better as the youngest of three kids. Um, Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord has commanded. This is a turning point in our story. If you think of like a a seesaw, a teeter-totter, you know, you got the fulcrum, you got kind of the the spot in the middle, right? And on, on one end is this, great load that is Pharaoh in all his power. Okay? And then on the other end of that teeter-totter is Moses. And he has been told of God, no, I will bring forth, Moses, I will bring enough force through you to offset his power, the Pharaoh's power. And it hasn't happened. It hasn't happened yet. And so you imagine the struggle that Moses and Aaron and the Israelite people have of like, Is our God actually strong enough? Is our God actually big enough? And I think what we're going to see in the coming weeks is that ultimately, yes, God and the force he brings with his power, with his righteous hand, his mighty arm, as the scripture says, is able to move Pharaoh. Let's keep reading. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become... A snake. We've, we've alluded to this before. He's done this before. It's gonna happen again, but let's let's remember kind of the symbolism of the snake here. Jen Wilkins says, So you remember the significance of the serpent, right? It was a symbol of Egypt's power. It was that snake God who was supposed to be Pharaoh's protector. Now bear in mind the staff that Aaron and, and Moses are gonna throw down represents God's authority it's going to represent God's authority all through the plagues uh, and, and the cycle that we see here coming up. So ultimately, again, this is not a Moses against Pharaoh. This is God coming against Pharaoh and God coming against Pharaoh's gods, whom Pharaoh believes has utmost power, ultimate power, and God is going to show that those are insignificant before him. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. I mean, even though it's happened one other time, don't you just still get just a little bit, like, worried, like, in Pharaoh's presence, like, the stakes have never been higher. I'm gonna throw down this staff. And then it actually actually happens. And I just imagine, you know, like, uh, this is really, like, so common now. And it's, it goes through, like, gifs or gifs, however you want to say it. Uh, I don't want to divide the church. Um, <laughs> but, like, it's so common to see somebody on a basketball court. And they make just this, like, sweet through-the-legs move. And, like, the defender just falls on their face. And then the crowd just goes, oh, Right? Like, you, you know what I'm talking about? Like, I imagine that, like, Moses and Aaron, and maybe the Israelites or the elders that are there, snake goes down, they're like, oh! And they're looking at Pharaoh like, ah. Oh. <laughs> maybe, right, maybe. Uh, until <laughs> Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff and it became a snake. So Pharaoh and all his sorcerers back to Moses and Aaron are like, oh, right? Like, oh, what you did, we did. Now, I read so much on what kind of snake the, the sorcerers and the magicians brought forth and was it real? Was it the same thing? Was it different? We don't know. And, and Moses doesn't feel compelled to give us all those details. It's just that He did something that the Lord commanded him to do. And Pharaoh's magicians did something of like fashion. And so I think we can see again, we're going head to head here. But Aaron's staff, Aaron's staff swallowed up the staffs of the magicians, of the sorcerers. And we could say a lot of things about the symbolism, about this as kind of a, a imagery. It just at the very least, can, just stick into the text here. God's staff is stronger. <laughs> I, I, I think we can be safe in saying that that there's something in that of Moses and Aaron's staff becoming a snake and swallowing up the others. Later, this this idea of swallowing up will be the same word that Moses will grab when he talks about the waves swallowing up the Egyptian army. And in this, if you're looking for a recap, you can actually go ahead in the story where we have all these accounts of the Israelite people looking back on this exodus and giving commentary about what happened. In that, you could turn to Numbers Chapter 33, so we got Genesis, Exodus, where we are, Leviticus, Numbers. So just a couple books in the Bible later, we read this in in Numbers 33, verse 4. The Lord had brought judgment on their gods, on the Egyptian gods. And that will remain true over the next four chapters of the book of Exodus. God is coming against Pharaoh. And God is coming against Egypt, and all that Egypt would believe is God. The Lord will bring judgment. The Lord will exalt himself over and against these other gods. And yet, Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord Had said. No surprises. This has been forecasted just several verses before this. God all but told Aaron and Moses, You're going to do this. You're going to throw down this staff. It's going to become a snake. And he won't relent. He won't turn. He won't humble himself before me. So, again, no surprises. Repetition continues. With that, I want to highlight what I feel like is a really important thread and theme that is started in chapter 4, picked up again in chapter 7, but brings us forward in God's story. And that's this idea of a God-man. We spend a lot of time at Christmas talking about a theological topic called the Incarnation where God the Son becomes a man, where God the Son, remaining what he was, God, becomes what he was not, man. Let me quote Peter ends again. The point is that Moses will be God functionally, both to Pharaoh and to the Israelites. It may be helpful here to understand this through Pharaoh's eyes. In Egyptian royal ideology, the Pharaoh was considered to be a divine being. So by calling Moses God, Yahweh is beating Pharaoh at his own game. It is not the king of Egypt who is God. Rather, it is this shepherd and leader of slaves who is God. And this Moses God, okay, Moses hyphen God, this Moses God, defeats Pharaoh in a manner that leaves no doubt as to the true nature and source of his power. He controls the elements, bugs, livestock, fire from heaven, and the water of the sea, He even has authority over life and death. Moses is not simply like God to Pharaoh. He truly is God to Pharaoh in that God is acting through Moses. So, there's gonna be time in the New Testament, Jesus Christ comes on the scene and he unpacks the Old Testament and he talks about how the Old Testament forecasted, predicted, foreshadowed his coming as Messiah, as deliverer as savior, and he does that multiple times. But let's just highlight a couple other areas of scripture with this idea that that God the Son becoming a man, this God-man, Christ Jesus. Where do we see that? Let me give you two passages. Because we have to see this, we have to read this book of Exodus and understand how exalted Moses was among the people. He was highly exalted over Pharaoh, their captor, the one who enslaved them. And yet we get to Deuteronomy 18, and it says, "'The Lord said to Moses, "'What this group, the Israelites, say is good. "'I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, "'from among their fellow Israelites, "'and I will put my words in his mouth. "'He will tell them everything I commanded him. "'I myself will call to account anyone "'who does not listen to my words,' that the prophet speaks in my name. So there's going to be a prophet like Moses, but a prophet greater than Moses who is to come. We believe that to be Jesus. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts, not on Moses, but on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, Just as Moses was faithful in all God's house, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. Just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself, for every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken up uh, by God in the future, but Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So what's being spoken of here is Moses, yes, highly exalted, exalted over Pharaoh, becoming like God to Pharaoh. And when Christ comes on the scene, the followers of God are trying to understand who is this guy and where kind in of this this great Mount Rushmore of all the historical greats of the faith, do we put him? Is he up there with Moses and David? What do we think about that? And the book of Hebrews comes along and says no, no, no exalted. Exalted above the angels, exalted above ancient priest Melchizedek, exalted above even Moses. And so when we speak of the God-man, or we see that or think about that around the time of Christ, and as we talk about it at Christmas and the Incarnation, we have this example, this Moses example in our Old Testament, where God would take just a man and use him in such a way so as to say, you will be like God to Pharaoh. So then when Christ comes on the scene and we, we, we work through it in church history, and we just say, we're trying to understand who Jesus is, and we get to that point of saying, he's fully God and fully man." It should be found a little less crazy because we see this example in the Old Testament. I'm still saying. It's a wild concept that is true only within Christianity of the world religions. God the Son became a man. Remaining what he was, he became what he was not. So that's one of the theological threads that we can pull forward in the book of Exodus. I want to now turn to just personally for you, for me, this week, in our story, what we're going through. One way I've been putting it is just what's what's lost if we don't have this. If we don't have this example, if we don't have this story, certainly a lot of it's repeat. Um, but if we didn't have the rest of the Bible and we only had this story, what gain would there be? And I want to just adjust that previous acronym of what could go wrong. And in its place, I want to, to, to kind of replace it with what has God said? Because as the people of God, I don't think we want to determine future behavior based on what could go wrong. Now I understand all the examples I gave you were, were terrible. Um, so much goes wrong. And we would be unwise not to learn from them. Obviously, that's true. But for a group of believers, for the church, for the people of God, we have a different starting point. We start with what God has said, what he has revealed. That's our starting point. And so I want to speak to you and and specifically highlight a couple prayer requests. Because I don't grab these prayer requests because I think they're unique. And I want to... Uh, highlight their concerns and their issues and brush them aside and just say, have more faith. No, I grab these prayer requests because they indicate, I think, how many of us feel at different times. I think what this person is communicating and, and these two people are communicating is kind of our inclination, how we tend to think or feel. When we struggle, it sounds a lot like this, and that's why I grab onto it. So let me just read for you one of the prayer requests. I don't know what to pray for. I'm doing my best, but I still fall short, and I don't think I can do enough to fix that myself. Please ask for closeness with God and for trust in him in all areas of life, but especially friendships and dating as I feel lost. I want to run away, but I don't want to want that. I'm guessing in a church our size, this is not just one person that feels this way. I'm guessing there are many people that feel this way. And in that, what do we do with that? How do we respond to that? person that wants to run away even though they recognize I don't want to want that. I think God has something for me here. I think I should stay. And yet, I always fall short. Seems like I can't figure this out. I want to read a couple passages that will hopefully encourage you wherever you're at, whatever your struggle might be, to look upon Jesus. Just read that passage from Hebrews. Fix your eyes on Jesus. I want to give you two other examples where that idea is picked up on, okay? Numbers 21. Let me give you the context. The Israelites are disobedient. They get set free from uh, Egypt. They go out into the wilderness. They don't respond in ways that honor and uphold God's word. They do what they want, and unfortunately, God brings judgment against his own people, in the form of poisonous snakes. And that's a hard teaching, I understand that. But God gives an opportunity for salvation, for deliverance. Let me read that for you. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake, put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake, put it on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. God gives an opportunity for salvation. That imagery is picked up in John's Gospel in chapter 3 where we read, I have spoken to you of earthly things, this is Jesus speaking, and you don't believe me. How then will you believe me if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man, Jesus himself. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. This is not a new gospel, Hope Community Church. This is the tried and true gospel. That when Jesus hangs on the cross, ultimately you look to him, not so that you can just be prosperous in this life. We don't believe in that. This idea of a prosperity gospel. You look upon Jesus that he might cover over your sin. Why? Because we looked at God, and God gave us his word, and we said, what could go wrong? And we dismissed him, and we went our own way. And that cross that hangs behind me is God's answer, is God's rescue plan for you and for me. And so when this person says, I'm doing my best, but I still fall short. I don't think I can do enough to fix myself. To that I say, it's true. Amen, you can't. Thankfully, God is a healer. God is a rescuer. God can help us. And that doesn't change. For those of you who've been walking with Christ for a number of years, it's still the gospel. It's still pushing deeper into the riches of God's love, his tender mercy, his ability to heal and bring you forward. It's tempting to think, oh yeah, I've heard that. I know that. No, no, no. We all have heard that. But we keep repeating it. Why? Why why do we repeat it at this church? Every Sunday, you guys bring up the gospel. It's like, yes, because you have been rescued. And you need to be rescued. And God is rescuing you, even today. And he will rescue you. Because of what we've seen at the cross, we can be assured of that, of God's power. So what has God said I will save you. Look upon me. Trust in me. Moses has every right to say, God, I've done that. I've tried that. It's not working. He has every right to say that. And yet Moses did as he was commanded. And I think we are called to believe in him, even today. Another hope person shares this request. I'm, I'm, I'm just feeling stuck. Not sure what I'm supposed to be doing, not sure what's next, but I'm not content with where I am with love prayers to really just hear from God. And I think that's where many people find themselves just, all right, yes, I hear God's word, I hear about the gospel, I know it really well, trusting in it, and yet there's something more personal. Not as much corporate about the gospel going out to all people, want to do that, believe in that, but there's something more personal. I need Direction. I need to know whether I go left or right, whether I should keep pursuing this or I should abandon and pursue a different route. Don't know if this relationship is right or healthy. Trying to understand that. Got this job thing. It's not going well. And so I come back again. What has God said? What has God said in his word that could help us? Because I think there are a lot of people that identify with this. I feel stuck, which way should I go? I talk to many of you. I feel stuck. I don't know whether I should take this job or stay, whether I should transition to a different church or stay. Got this small group thing coming up. Want to run, want to go from that. I just feel stuck. Not sure what I should be doing next. I want to answer a couple different ways Number one, it is possible that God has not said which way to go. Is that fair? Like, maybe he hasn't revealed the next step. God's at liberty to keep that from us. There's many times where he's working behind the scenes to orchestrate and just like, not yet, not yet. Moses, no, not yet. Wait, wait, wait now, right? So it could be. You could be in that waiting stage. How long were they going to be enslaved in Egypt? 400 years. years okay? That's a long time. That's hard to be stuck in that place. Or it could be, could be, I'm just going to throw this out there. Try it on like a, a, a shirt. If you don't like it, you can throw it off. All right? It's possible that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, that he is trying to speak to you, that he's trying to communicate a way forward. Things that you should do, steps you should take, and you're resistant you bring it to God, you ask in prayer, God help me, and he responds, and then you go, uh, I don't think so, right? And you just go a different direction. Or you hear from God, and you pass it off as like, no, that can't be what God wants for me because I don't see my friend doing that. They're not doing that thing. It's like, well, God's talking to you. We follow him because, not because what we see in our friend, but because what God's doing in our lives, so... Maybe you need to follow. You ask for help from God, He responds. You go, Oh, let me bring that to someone in my life. And they go, No, that's crazy. There's so many things that could go wrong. Are you? That's absurd. You're gonna follow God and do that? Dangerous. You'll never get make any money. Sharing your faith with your coworker. Are you crazy? You know how many things could go wrong? Right? it's in that vein that I share these words from the book of Hebrews. This is the Israelite people, okay? So as the Holy Spirit says to them today, if you hear his voice, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. Friends, some of you have seen what God has done. You've seen it. You've experienced it. You've experienced his presence, his closeness. He has told you to do things and you have replied. You have responded. You have followed. And if for whatever reason, you've gotten to that point, you're saying, but not one more step, God. It's too much. You're requiring, you're asking too much of me. It's too hard. I risk too much. That cost is too great to pay. I'll disappoint my parents. I'm not doing it. But friends, if you've heard his Holy Spirit, if he's spoken to you in some way, oh, that you might have the trust to obey, to follow him. Let me quote from Douglas Stewart who says, The wilderness generation and all that have succeeded it had a similar tendency. And what Moses eventually learned, all believers, all believers have had to learn for themselves, God's timing only sometimes coincides with our expectations. And his idea of the hardships we need to go through only sometimes coincides with our idea of how much we can take. What could go wrong, friends? Lots. Following God, lots could go wrong. But what has God said? What has God said to you through the cross? He used to speak through prophets. But in these latter days, he has spoken through his son. What's he said to you? What is he saying to you? If you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, don't harden your hearts. Listen, respond, follow him. May you, ta- may you and I trust in God who has overcome the world, who is overcoming the world, and who w- one day will overcome the entirety of it. Let's pray together. God, right now, we come to you in Jesus' name, God the Son, God who became man, who rescued us through the cross, and who, when he departed, said, we will not be left as orphans, but granted us his Holy Spirit. And God, if we are hearing from you today, may we respond. God, you want to work in each of our lives. You want to communicate to us, even individually. And if there be a message that the people of hope are hearing, may we respond with heartfelt trust, God, that your ways are not just right, they are good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.